when darkness was all I could see. Somebody pleaded the blood of Jesus. Somebody prayed for me.
And folks, all week been talking about how hot it is up here. I'm used to working in the elements. Didn't bother me a bit, David. Let's stand right now and welcome everybody here. Let's do that right now. It's good to see everybody. Thank you guys for coming tonight, especially those that visit with us. We know this is Wednesday night, and we really hope that uh, people are at their church tonight. So just thank you for being here. And again, if you are a visitor, thank you so much. Did you meet that uh, family that was visiting last night, David? I, I just very first time I've seen them, they were the debater family. And I started asking the names, you know, and uh, dad's name was Stewed. Y'all, come on. You knew better than that. <laughs> Mama's name was Mary Nated. Don't make me pull out tomato on there, all right? <laughs> but as they were leaving, little Daddy, you know, he looked around, and he told his son, he said, come on, ketchup. <laughs> never mind. Never mind. I, I, I personally thought that was very funny. Uh, who was going to get to pray tonight? Who said that disparaging remark about me in the choir room? Scotty Jones, come on up here and lead us in prayer. <laughs> Got to teach you to only say nice things about the pastor. <laughs> Let us pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you for this night that we can come to worship you, Lord. We pray that you give David the words to say would touch all our hearts, dear Lord. We ask you to be with all the ones who will be mentioned on the prayer list tonight, dear Lord. Be with them and be with their families, dear Lord. Be with the families who have lost their loved ones. And we thank you for all you do in each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. That's the fastest prayer I heard. Please stand and join us in singing hymn number 618. I've got peace like a river. 618. We'll sing all three verses.
Again, we're grateful that you are here tonight. A couple of quick announcements. First of all, I want to thank the uh, kitchen committee for preparing supper tonight. You that were able to get here, can we give them a big round of applause? <laughs> you know what? I didn't hear any complaints at all. I really didn't. And uh, that's not only unusual in a Baptist church, but it's unusual at supper time, isn't it? But it was some kind of good. Thank you so much. Uh, I've been asked to remind the youth that their camp forms are due this evening and you can see stan amanda is anna here anybody any of the youth leadership please turn those in uh to them okay uh tomorrow night just want to remind you we're still going to have revival services on thursday night uh teresa carter will be here to lead in the music and again we just thank everybody uh, for being a part of the revival services thank you for coming thank you for praying I try and do this on Wednesday night in the event that people cannot, will not be here tomorrow night. I want to thank all the choirs. I want to thank our choir. I want to thank our musicians, the folks that work on the soundboard, uh, the kitchen committee, the nursery committee, uh, the folks that have joined together before the service and prayed. Thank you for praying at home. Thank you for bringing um, others with you and inviting others to come. And... Um, Kay, I was hoping you are going to come back in. Uh, Kay and Jimmy are celebrating their 48th anniversary today, all right? And Jimmy said, <laughs> Jimmy said bringing her to church was the cheapest place he could come, so <laughs> they didn't say that. They were both very happy. Where did y'all get married at, if you don't mind me asking? Were you, were you in church? Oak Grove? So you were at church and everything? At, at the end of service, you want to renew your vows or anything? <laughs> Divided house already, David. But anyway, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, tonight, I'll just share, we've got so many on our prayer list, especially many at home. But let me just, uh, let me just remind you of some folks. Uh, Sonia Vaughn had uh, chemotherapy today. Janet Davis will have surgery uh, on Friday at Duke, so please lift her up. Uh, Weldon Bose is still at the VA Medical Center. Please continue to pray for him. Um, he continues to get weaker, but just please lift he and uh, Helen and Kay and Mike up in prayer. Also, uh, Randall Averett was, Randy Averett was admitted back in the Duke Regional. Remember him. Larry Honeycutt, Shorty Clayton, Joe Lee, uh, Samuel Carver, and Person Memorial. Um, several people that had surgery last week that are recovering. Um, and Mark Oakley, Mark was in Duke. He has come home. I'm sorry I failed to mention that last night. But uh, uh, just please, again, remember uh, the folks that had surgery last week, Rhonda Oakley, Kaylee Jeffrey, Pam Lee. They are all back at home. Um, please continue to remember the victims of the floods in Texas and the hurricanes. Um, and the people down in Puerto Rico. I mean, it's just absolutely devastating to look at what's happening to those folks on the news. So please lift them up in prayer. Let's have a few moments of silent prayer, and then I'll lead us, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you that you are our shelter. Thank you, Father, that in the storms of life, we can always find refuge in you. And God, there are many that need your refuge tonight. 
both physically and spiritually. God, we want to lift up again the, the people that have been affected by floods and hurricanes and God, most especially the, the people in Puerto Rico. God, please bless them. Please provide their needs, Father. And Father, even in the moments that they're facing without power and without many of the elements that we've partaken of in the last few minutes here at church, Father, please bless them and provide, Lord, what they need. Thank you for those that have already gone down there to help and the ones that will be coming in weeks and months ahead, Father. And God, how we pray that this might be a time in which they'll seek you and find your son and know the peace of God even in the midst of storms. God, for the many that are on our prayer list, Lord, both in town and out of town, both members of our church and members of the community are, are Lord, just people that need us to lift them up in prayer. We pray for all of them. God, we especially pray for Weldon that you would give him new strength and bless his family as they stand with him. And God, we pray for Janet that as she has surgery on Friday that that would go well. God, I thank you for every person that has come to the church this week. God, there have been many from other churches, but we just thank you again that we've been reminded that we are the children and family of God. And we come together, Father, and worship. And we ask tonight that your spirit would again be in this place. Bless, Father, the singing of the message of Christ and bless the preaching of the word of God that reveals who Jesus is, the Son of God and the Savior of the world. God, please empower David again. God, thank you so much for David and Missy and for Micah and Noah and Miss Downey and God, all of David's family, both kin folks and his church family, Antioch Baptist Church. God, please continue to bless and use them. Thank you, Father, for the work that you are doing and have done and will do in their body of believers. But Father, again, please bless in these moments ahead. For we ask in Christ's name, amen. I always feel a responsibility as a host pastor to say words of introduction. Just briefly, David is a native of Person County, and what a rich blessing he is to our county. And, David, we just appreciate you and Missy. Uh, Missy, I appreciate you being beside uh, David at all times. You're such a, a wonderful wife, and, and we thank you. And, and Ms. Downey, I know you're proud of your son. I've told this to our church folks, David, but when I felt the call to ministry, I just really unqualified in many ways, but I, I kept thinking about the first time I'd get to preach. And this is a true story. And um, and finally, the preacher asked me to preach one Sunday night, and I was so excited. And I, the night before, I dreamed that when I stood up to preach, everybody in the church got up and walked out, except Mr. Roger Touchberry, who was who was a deacon that had really kind of tried to mentor me and my mama. I, I woke up before I finished the sermon. I don't know if they stayed or not, so... But we're just glad you got your family here with you. Each night I've been introducing the choir. Um, many of you know that um, these folks, most of them haven't come to the choir voluntarily. They're, it's part of a work release and community uh, service project. <laughs> I love these folks. I tell you what, we've got, they're going to sing.
tell you, I believe that choir's joy was showing just a little bit. Amen. What a beautiful song to follow. What a Savior. What a friend we have in Jesus. Y'all go ahead and grab your Bibles. We will get to several verses before the evening's over. But go ahead and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We'll find our way over there. But I have to say this. Uh, I think Herbert was being serious when he was congratulating Jimmy and Kay on their anniversary and picking at them all at once. And uh, I want to say happy anniversary to them once again. They've been married the same amount of years I've been alive. That's, that's impressive. And, and I'm also impressed that you cared enough to take her out to eat. And where better to eat than with your family of God? And I was also very impressed that Jimmy said that I needed to get done early tonight for selfless reasons. They, they weren't selfish at all. He said, I really need you to get done early tonight. True story, preacher. He said, I need you to get done early tonight because I need to take my wife Kay over to the Walmart and let her look at the cards, and then she's going to put them back. <laughs> so, Kay, you just knock yourself out. Look at the ones, even the ones that play music that cost $4. You look at them, too, since you can't keep them, and just have a happy anniversary. What a wonderful thing that people have been together 48 years. What a testimony to love and commitment. Happy anniversary, guys. God bless you. Wish we could hear more of those stories. Thirty-one years ago, the doctor said he had cancer. It would be likely that it would come back. God knew different, didn't he, Jimmy? God's good. That's reason for joy. Boy, if I'd give you all the chance, you'd all tell me some reason to have joy tonight, wouldn't you? We are literally on the back nine now. We are, for those of you that don't golf, we're almost done. Uh, I don't golf, but I just love the expression. But, you know, can you believe it's been four nights already? It just flew by. And I have enjoyed it. I want y'all to know that I really enjoy it. And I like that something's getting through. One of the sweet sisters here tonight grabbed me. She said, you know, I've really enjoyed this. And she said, everywhere I've gone, all over town, somebody said, your joy ain't showing. Or let me see your joy. That's the point, that we would encourage each other to make sure that our joy is showing. At least one person here has truly got this. Now, I pick on Herbert a lot, but I'll tell you, I admire and respect and love that man more than words can say. And I'll tell him like I tell a lot of other people, if I quit picking on you, it's because I don't like you no more. So I pick on Herbert incessantly, but now trust me, he gives it back. But I do that because I do love and respect him, and you guys just don't know how blessed you are. Not only is he a man who preaches the Word, he's a man who hears the Word, and he's not only a hearer of the Word, he's a doer of the Word. But Herbert doesn't do anything halfway. Now, I've been sharing some pictures with y'all all week about people that really, somebody said, was that really his family members? I said, no, it really wasn't. Uh, but I, I showed you a couple of pictures, one of a guy grinning from ear to ear, and then one that just had this big old frown on his face. And, and I said, which one of these guys would you like to hang out with? And of course, you picked the one with the big old smile on his face. And then I said, okay, here's a sweet little lady with that sparkle in her eye, those little smile lines around her eyes from where she's been smiling all these years, and she's just sitting there with the most beautiful smile on her face. I said, now, you, would you rather have coffee and hang out with this little lady or Bertha better than you? And I showed another picture of a lady that looked like her face was just stuck in a frown position. It just was awful to see. And you all chose the sweet little lady 
who was grinning from ear to ear. Why? Because it seems like there's just something real in the eyes and behind the smiles of those other people. And that was one of the things that I used to prove my point, that your joy as a Christian is critical, and it's part of your witness. Because why in the world does anybody want to hear about your Jesus if he ain't enough to put a smile on your face? I mean, let's just be realistic. You would rather be around somebody who's positive in general. It's how we're made. You don't want to hang around with the negative Nancys or the gloomy Gusses. You want to be with the folks who lift you up and make you feel better. And if you've got the Lord in your heart, the joy of the Lord should be your strength, and it should be so full, as we read in the Scripture, that it's just bubbling over, and it shows right here in your countenance. We started in the book of Proverbs, and we looked at Proverbs 15, 13, Proverbs 17, 20, both of which said that our joy can be real, should be real, and if it is, then we can make someone's day, and if it's not, we can break someone's bones. And I asked you, I said, do you want to be day makers or bone breakers? And every last one of you, unanimous vote, I want to be a day maker. Well, Herbert took that to the nth degree. I'd like for you to look at this picture on the screen tonight of your pastor. <clears throat> That's not, yeah, look at that. And I want you to notice something that I picked up on right away. I see joy on his face, but look at the back of his head. He's even got a smile in the back of his head. Look at that. You see it? If I drew a couple of eyes up there, you'd see a smile right at the bottom of that skull. Now, that's joy through and through, brother, and I am so glad that somebody is not just a hearer but a doer of the Word. What a wonderful picture. Whoever caught that, God bless them. Fran and I were talking today as we sort of concocted this little plan, and I appreciate Fran going to the trouble of scanning a card that someone had given Herbert. And, and, and we were talking about it. She said, you know, you need to find out if that's really you, Herbert, because you need to be getting royalties. <laughs> so I don't know that that's Herbert, but doggone if it don't look a lot like him. <laughs> but I love that smile in the back of your head. You know, my mom always had eyes in the back of hers, but I never noticed a smile, I can tell you that. <laughs> But nonetheless, I hope that you are getting the point by now that joy is critical to our witness. When you look like you look right now with that big old grin on your face and you're living your life despite all of the horrors that are going on around you, despite all the aggravations that are going on in your life, if there is joy showing on your face and more importantly, not just a smile, but your countenance, if you carry yourself with joy, and you know what I mean because you've been around those people, you've been around the contagious Christians that you just love to be around and you've also been around the ones that claim the names of, name of Christ and that you can just say, you can't, I don't feel any anything. I don't even like being around them. They're always negative and all they're doing is gossiping and talking bad about somebody and always seeing the, the, the wrong side of the coin instead of the shiny side. I don't like being around that. So I hope you're getting the point. Your joy should show through and through because I'm going to tell you something, folks. There's enough good news to go around. There really is. Now, I won't go through the details I've shared with the church all week long, but if you are always focused on the negative that we see in mainstream media, of course you're going to be depressed. I'm not telling you not to be culturally relevant and understand what's going on. We need to know what's going on in current events so that we can have a decent conversation with someone, so that we can use that conversation to springboard into the good news because there's a lot of good things happening too. New churches are popping up all over the nation, even though a few are going by the wayside. We 
also know that people are coming to Christ in record numbers. You're not going to hear that on the news, but it's real. I told you there's a Bible study every week in 40 different state capitals, an evangelical Bible study that you wouldn't mind hearing here at Theresa. I can also tell you that in our Congress, the House and the Senate, there's a Bible study every week led by a very godly man who used to be a professional basketball player and now has given his heart and life to the Lord. Also, it's happening with at least 12 of the cabinet members of our current president. Like him, lump him, or hate him, we ought to be praying for him and we ought to be grateful that at least somebody around him is being filled with the Word of God so that hopefully it's going to rub off on him and the rest of the folks up there in Washington because you just never know where a revival can start. I've always thought they'd start at the ground level and work their way up. But who knows? Maybe God's doing a big thing there. Who knows? I just know that God is still on the move and nobody's going to stop him. God is still on the throne and nobody's going to dethrone him. God is still undefeated and no one will ever defeat him. And if you add a top of all of that that you woke up this morning meaning that God ain't done with you, there's reason for joy in our life. And I'll tell you this, if you got Jesus, that's enough. But all those other things add to it. We should have joy. And we began there that first night with daymakers and bone breakers saying we understand we need joy. It's a critical part of our witness. And it was throughout the scripture. We looked at tons of verses that night and confirmed, yeah, we're supposed to have joy. And we showed proof through many, many scriptures and through these little factoids that I shared with you that we had a reason for joy. Now, I'm just going to ask you to be a, uh, participate a little bit tonight. I know that's strange in a Baptist church sometimes, but I want y'all to actually participate, and I want you to do so loudly. Remember when you were a kid and you're in Bible school, and they said, now, sing it real loud. What'd you do? You screamed. You didn't sing. You screamed. I want y'all to do that. You say, I can't do that in church. Well, please, come on, help a brother out, Okay. I want to ask you this, and I want you to answer with the loudest amen you got if you believe what I'm saying. We, as believers in Jesus Christ, have all the reason in the world to have genuine joy. Amen. All right, I think we got another unanimous vote, my brother. We need it. It's part of our witness, and we've got reason to have it. But I told you, I think a lot of times Christians look really down in the mouth, really sad, and a lot of times it just looks like they lost their best friend. And it's hard for you to witness to somebody if you look like that. We established that. But I said, you know, I think the reason for that could be one of two things. Either you don't have Jesus to begin with. Because I'm going to tell you something, folks. Please hear me. This is the most important thing you're ever going to decide is who Jesus is to you. Have you really chosen Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. Not just somebody to give you some fire insurance and to keep you out of hell, but as your Lord as well, because you don't get one without the other. Have you truly not just walked an aisle and prayed the sinner's prayer, not just put on the name of Christ, but have you put on Jesus Christ? Do you really believe with all your heart that he is the Son of God, sent to this earth to die on the cross for the propitiation or the substitution or the forgiveness for your sins? Do you really believe that? Because if you don't, forget joy. You might get fleeting happiness every now and then. You might even feel good in church every now and then when the choir does an especially good job because it might touch your emotions. But you will never experience real joy in your life until Jesus Christ sits on the throne in the throne room of your heart. 
The second reason that maybe Christians don't have joy is because they've lost their focus. And since I'm assuming that we're in a church where most people have come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, it's been my duty to try to help you refocus on what matters and what can give you joy and to sustain your joy and help you to show your joy and in effect be a better ambassador for Christ and reach more people for Him. You see, if we get focused on anything but the reason we can have joy, Jesus Christ, we're going to fail. Remember that story we read in Matthew 14? We went through the narrative of Peter when he was walking on water. And I shared that last night with all of our technology and all of our resources, with all that we've figured out over the history of mankind, with as smart as we are, nobody has figured out how to walk on water yet. And they're not going to. It's against the laws of nature. And yet Peter defied the laws of nature and he walked across a very real sea made of very real H2O. Now you see, that's not supposed to happen. We've got this thing called gravity that tends to pull us down. And if you step out of a boat, you better have on a life jacket or be able to tread water real well. Otherwise, you're going to be swimming with the fishes. You're going to sink like a brick. But Peter stepped out of a boat at 4 o'clock in the morning, pitch black, and started walking across the sea that had just moments before been tossed to and fro because of the storm that was there. And he starts walking to who? Who's he walking to? And you know, as long as he was focused on Jesus, he was strutting across that water just like I could walk across this aisle, just like you could walk across dry land. Peter's walking as long as he's looking at Jesus. But the second the waves start lapping at his feet and he turns and looks, just for a second, what happens? He sinks. He sinks and he's screaming, Lord, help me. That's where most of us find ourselves a lot of the time. We'll take the initiative, step out on a little bit of faith, and then we get a little bit of resistance from the enemy, which you can count on coming when you're doing the Lord's will. And we start screaming, Lord, help me, I'm sinking. But as long as we're focused on Jesus, you're not going to sink. You will be able to do just as miraculous a thing as walking on water. In fact, I told you, you'll do more miraculous things because walking on water, well, that's a neat trick. But it's not very practical. There's not very many times I need to walk on water. If I really need to get somewhere on water, I'll just get in a boat or get on a jet ski or something. But it's very practical and very needful for me to be able to walk into someone's life with true joy on my face and in my heart and be able to share the source of my joy and my strength. As Nehemiah said, the strength of the Lord and the joy of the Lord is my strength. And if I am able to walk into the life of someone who is lost and dead to their sins and leave having led them to Jesus Christ, now that's a miracle. And that's the kind I want to be a part of. Oh, I'd like to walk on water. That would be cool. And if I ever do it, I promise you, I'm calling Herbert so he can send y'all a message, have pictures on the screen. I'm going to be on Facebook. I hate me some, I hate Facebook because all it is is somebody's opportunity to put their own stinking soap opera out there, and, and, and it just gets ugly sometimes. But I would put that on Facebook. But if I never get to walk on water, that's all right because I have been used a lot of times, as many of you have, and I'm not bragging, I'm thankful for this, but I've been able to share the source of my joy, Jesus Christ, with many a people and watch them raised from the dead by Jesus Christ. Now, that's good stuff, but you've got to be focused on Jesus. And so we began to pick apart, night after night after night, the bits and pieces of the acronym for joy. J, Jesus, O, others, and tonight, 
yourself. So I told you that first night on Monday or second night on Monday night, I said you had better put Jesus first in your life. The Ten Commandments teach us God's got to be first. The Second Commandment teaches that too. And then if you look at Matthew 22, 38 through 40, it's just a restating by Jesus of those Ten Commandments. But he boils it down to two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your strength, your soul, and your mind. He's got to be first. Folks, if you don't have Jesus first in your life, and if that's not what you're focused on, forget joy. Forget it. It ain't coming. And you will be miserable because every little storm that's brewing around you, every little thing that doesn't go exactly like you thought it ought, is going to knock you off your foundations and you're going to be miserable. But if you'll focus on Jesus, nothing's bigger. And nothing's really going to shake you. Oh, it might take you for a second, but then you're going to catch it and say, uh-uh, not going to steal my joy because I got my Jesus. And you can't shake my Jesus, so you can't shake me. And then we moved on to the O of joy, others. You know, if we don't put others first and we decide that we're going to be number one in our lives, first of all, that's putting Jesus down to second level. But if we also don't put others above us, we are breaking the law of God. In fact, what James 2.8 says is the royal law of God. He says the royal law of God is to love your neighbor as yourself, which was the second part of what Jesus said in Matthew 22. Love God first, love your neighbor as yourself. And who did we determine last night our neighbors were? Everyone. It's everybody. It's not just the folks that live next to you on the street or at the end of the cul-de-sac. It's everybody. And we need to love others first. I read to you how many verses last night. We were all over the Bible talking about how other people and their needs and things going on in their lives should be paramount and should trump what's going on in our life. And I ended that message very clearly with the passage saying that we needed to look to the needs of others, not our own. It's what God said. If we do that, then we are truly fulfilling the law of love and of Christ. And y'all have got to take Herbert off the screen now. I appreciate it, but um, <laughs> it, it just is it's distracting me, Herbert. <laughs> but we've gone through Jesus and others, and I won't beat that to death. I just wanted to recap so that we could bring everybody up to speed. Tonight, we're on the why of joy. We've looked at the J, Jesus. We looked at the O, others. Now it's on the Y. And I know some of you were thinking and even sort of alluded to it on the way out last night. How after spending an entire message talking about how I'm supposed to put Jesus and others first, is he going to convince me that I'm supposed to be in the mix at all? How's he going to convince me I'm supposed to be doing something for myself? Watch this. I'll prove it to you that it's okay to think of yourself occasionally, but in the right context and looking out for yourself in the right way. Now, first, I'm going to talk about, as we look at ourselves and what we're supposed to be doing for ourselves, the physical aspect of who you are. It's inescapable. The physical aspect of who you are is what's sitting on these pews tonight. This is the vehicle that carries who you really are. And this is the vehicle that is to carry you into eternity until you get a glorified body. And so it's important that we take care of this thing. Now, I could stand up here all night and extol the virtues of working out and running and eating right and all those things, but I'm just going to try to make this real succinct, real concise, because I don't want to beat it to death. But I want to say this. We need to look out for ourselves and stay as healthy as we possibly can because this is the temple of God. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Don't you know that your bodies are the temple of God? This is where God resides. And I said the other night, we need to be wearing our joy and focusing on Jesus because we might be the only Jesus someone ever sees. Have you ever prayed for a loved one that is lost and said, God, please send somebody their way to witness to them? 
Sure you have. You've prayed that for many people. You've prayed it for people in the government. I hope you've prayed it for people locally and all around you. Well, you know what? God did send somebody, and it just might be you. You might be the only Jesus anybody ever sees. And so you need to take care of this thing so that you can be used of God the very best of your ability. Now, I'm going to tell you, that's one thing I can say about your pastor. He believes in being physically fit. I told you, when I met Herbert Brown at 11 years old, and I don't know if he likes it when I tell this or not, but it's the truth as I stand here, he was a much bigger man than he is today. Herbert was twice the man he, was, uh, twice the man he is. <laughs> he, he was a big guy. Yeah, I had it right the first time. Big guy, I remember that big old teddy bear. And I will say this, I always remember, even as a kid, he always treated me with the utmost respect and had time to speak to me. I'll never forget that. Folks, don't, don't discount these kids. They need your wisdom. Don't dismiss them. Even Jesus himself said, oh, don't dismiss them. You bring them to me. But that's another message for another time. But I remember that. He was a bigger guy. But look at him now, man. He is buff. Look at him. Do you know why Herbert Brown never ever wear short sleeves into the pulpit because he figures that this is supposed to be about the word of God not a gun show <laughs> he don't want to show the guns right this man works out but I always wonder where he did it at and I finally thought I said Herbert you know the senior center down there has an incredible gym now and I don't know how old you are Herbert but if you're over 50 you can pay $15 a month and go work out every single day and, Herbert, I really don't know how old you are, but if you're over 60, it's free. And I said, man, this is the same thing that was there when that real gym was there. I mean, they didn't take a single machine out. He said, well, I'd go down there. He said, it ain't really about the money so much. He said, they just don't have the machine that I like working out on the most. And as buff as he is, I figured it must be some total gym or something. I didn't know. But do you know I found out Monday that they finally got the machine that Herbert works out to. It's the Lance machine. It's got chips and candy bars, and all kind of goodies in it. Herbert went Tuesday morning, joined that gym, and fudged on his age so he could get in free. No, that's a joke, obviously. But, you know, it is important, whether you join a gym or whether you're going to eat like a vegan or a vegetarian, oh, that would just kill me, I'm just going to tell you. That would kill me. But whether you're going to do all those things or not, at least try to take care of yourself. It's important. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Don't you know that your bodies are the temple of God? Now, even as I say that, I have to be realistic. From the moment you are born, according to Scripture and according to what we know from experience, things start to fall apart. With every day that you live, not only are you getting a day older, which is beautiful because, I mean, it's nice to get older. The option is going ahead and checking out early. But every day that you live, not only are you getting older, cells are dying by the thousands. It's just a reality. Believe it or not, I used to have a full head of hair, and now I'm on my way to looking like Herbert Brown, my hero. People will be writing John 3.16 on the back of my head soon when I'm sleeping, and I'll be looking in the wig shop because I used to have hair, but it's going the way of the dinosaurs. And not only that, gravity does its worst to us, doesn't it? Now, I don't want any of you to give me any personal examples, but let's face it, things are not at the level they used to be for some of us. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Things just change, don't they? Wrinkles happen. Your cells are dying. And with every day that passes, things start to hurt that you didn't even know there was something there to hurt. Just the reality. A lot of us wake up with Arthur and have to go meet with Ben. Arthritis and Ben Gay. 
just the way it is. Every day you live, you're dying a little bit physically. And so you say, well, what's the point? The point is, this is the vehicle that God gave you to carry you up to eternity, and it's also the vehicle that he gave you to help escort other people in their vehicle to Jesus Christ. And so since this is the temple of God, the vehicle that gets to carry our soul around until we go home to be with the Lord and get a new one, we need to take care of it. It's just that simple. Do you maintain your cars? Yes, because if you don't, what happens? It doesn't take you where you need to go. So we need to at least on some level understand this is a temple and take care of it the very best we can. And I keep saying it, the best we can because I do understand the reality of what physically happens to us. But with all of that being said, I'd like to turn our attention from the physical, because that's something that you get, it's sensible, you know that if you don't take care of yourself, what happens? Things start falling apart faster at a more rapid pace, and it's aggravating. I want to turn our attention, though, to the second thing that I think we need to work on the most when it comes to ourselves, that why, yourself, you, and that is our spiritual well-being. I think this is something that gets neglected even more than our physical sometimes. We get a little haphazard with our physical health. We try to eat right for a while when we're feeling bad or the doctor says, hey, you need to drop down a couple or you need to this or you need to that. We'll adjust a little bit and then what happens, we sort of drift back into old habits. That's why diets don't usually work because we fall back into old habits and and we like fuel. We really do. By fuel, I mean food. Like for me, it's cheese and Krispy Kreme donuts. Good grief. I I could eat them all day long. And I I could try to stay away from them for a while, but then I drift back. But you know, I think that same thing applies spiritually. I think we'll come to revivals, and if somebody does a particularly good job and makes a few points that really hits home with us, we'll take it and we'll be on fire just a little bit more than we were for a few weeks. But then we sort of drift back into life and our old habits. I pray to God that's not y'all. I really do. I pray that you will hear a few things this week, especially tonight, that you're going to do differently, not for a few weeks, but until we all take these old vehicles to eternity and are together again in glory. Our spiritual well-being is the most important thing. I would submit to you that whether you take care of your body or not, you need to take care of your spiritual self. Because even if your body fails you and you can't do hardly anything, If you are spiritually healthy, you will still be used of God in mighty, mighty ways. I have to talk about a little lady in our membership at the church. Her name is Marie Dunman. Some of you may know Marie. She came to us several years ago, and she was as healthy as anybody in this room. And she was just a beautiful, sweet, classy lady, loved the Lord, knew the Word of God, prayed fervently, and served Him with every step she took. She looked at me when she first started coming and she said, Pastor, I want you to know I have ALS. We know it as Lou Gehrig's disease. And she said, right now I'm just a little weak in my left hand, but sooner or later I'm not going to be able to do anything. So for me to preach to her about what to do to take care of her body would have been futile. Nothing would have stopped the ravages of this disease wherein there is no current cure. Pray for those who have ALS, such as Marie and Brian Hager and many others in our community. So at this point in her life, this woman sits in an electric wheelchair and is unable to do anything save two things. She's able to move her eyes, and she's able to smile. She cannot speak a word. She cannot move a single limb, not even a pinky on her hands. Can't do anything. She can't even really breathe on her own without a vent. 
But she is able to encourage me spiritually in ways that is unbelievable. She has a system set up to where her eyes help her type emails and send them. And I'm going to tell you, technology is a beautiful thing used correctly. I'll get an email, and be, the punctuation will be terrible. The capital letters will be in the wrong place, you name it. But I can read it, and it's always something encouraging. Pastor, I'm praying for you. Pastor, I hope that whatever, fill in the blank. And here's a woman that can't do anything except move her eyes and smile. And then the other part of what she does for me and so many others, if you ever get the chance to meet her, you walk into her house, you hear the vent going, you see her laying there in the bed unable to move at all, but there is a smile on her face from ear to ear. And if you start talking about Jesus or try to pray with that woman, it gets bigger. It looks like her whole head's going to turn into a smile. And it is the most beautiful smile you've ever seen in the world. She's got joy. You see, even ALS and no physical ability anymore couldn't steal her joy. Why? Because it wasn't based on her physical well-being or external circumstances. It was based on Jesus Christ sitting on the throne in her heart. And she encourages me in so many ways. What is my point in all of that? You need to make sure, even if you don't take care of the physical and you won't have that one day, that you're taking care of the spiritual because God can use you if you are right inside, even if the outside starts to give up on you. And I would say that to any of you who are unable now physically to do the things you used to. Don't focus on what you can't do anymore. Focus on what you still can do. And if you love the Lord, you can still share him with people, even if you can't do it with nothing but a smile. Don't ever give up. We need to take care of the spiritual well-being because I would submit to you that it would be better to be able to rightfully divide this word of truth than to be able to tear a phone book in half like some of these strong men do on TV. I used to do that for fun. Missy got mad at me because she couldn't find nobody's number anymore. I could just pick up a New York City phone book, rip it in half, and if you believe that, I got a bridge I'm going to sell you. But you've seen it happen, ain't you? Seeing these strong men competitions and these rascals will pick up a big old phone book. Now, I ain't talking about a Person County phone book. I, I don't know. It's like in the Person County phone book, there's like 7,000 Claytons and about 10 other people. <laughs> but, but the phone book still ain't that big, right? It's just a little thin thing. Yeah, I could probably rip that if I had to. But I'm talking about you see these strong men, they'll grab a big old thick phone book and somehow rip that thing in half. Never really seen the purpose in it, but it's cool. But I would a whole lot rather be able to rightly divide the word of truth than to rip up a phone book. You know what? I would be a whole lot more pleased if I'm known as a man who stands strong on God's truth than a man who can be so strong he can lift all the dead weights in the world. I would also rather be known, and I hope you would too, as a man who has so many calluses on his knees from praying, not necessarily a man who has rock-hard calf muscles. A point simple, I hope you get it. Take care of your spiritual self. How do we do it? How do we do it? Discipline. How do you get those rock-hard abs like Herbert Brown? You get up every day and you do sit-up after sit-up after sit-up. I love picking on you, brother. You're such a good boy. He's just grinning like, yeah, I know I got abs. But you get rock-hard abs. You get solid guns. You're in good shape because you discipline yourself to do what is necessary. And i got to pick on a sister tonight. She's sitting back there, and she didn't know this was coming, so she can just jump on me later if she can catch me because I'm pretty fit too. But <laughs> Stacy Davis 
came out and, and helped get everybody warmed up for our 5K mission fundraiser on Saturday morning. We had a bunch of folks that were crazy enough to get up and want to run three-point-something miles to help us raise money for our Philippines mission coming up this year. And so they asked Stacy, who is the jazzercise person on the planet, not, not just in Persian County, but she is, she is jazzercise, okay? If she dies, jazzercise is over, so let's pray she stays healthy. But she got out there, and I'm telling you, she was making moves that I had never seen. More moves than a box of X-Lax. I ain't never seen such a thing. <laughs> and there's a brother in here tonight saying, man, I know what that's all about, but never mind. You know who you are. I'm not, I'm not going to go look at anybody. But I'm telling you, Stacy is so fit that she was out there doing things, and everybody's watching her, trying to keep up, and it was sad watching that group because they were trying <laughs> But nobody could keep up with her. You know she, how she got that good? She disciplined herself to eat right, to exercise right, and to practice, practice, practice. That's why she's so darn good at it. And if you want to be spiritually healthy, you're going to get a few disciplines in place in your life. And it's not going to be hit and miss. It's going to be every day. Because I can guarantee you, no matter how fit a person is, it don't take long to get unfit. There was a brother here the other night who would tell you that very thing. He just came to me a few weeks ago, and he said, man, I, I'm just torn up. He said, I've lost all my disciplines. I'm not doing what I ought to do in so many ways. And this is a guy who was one of those, I mean, cut like a brick house and starting to get a little fluffy. I mean, you know, his own words, not mine. And it happened in just a matter of a few months. It takes discipline, and I don't mean hit and miss discipline. I mean it's got to be every day faithful. And, folks, why wouldn't we want to discipline ourselves to be spiritually healthy if we really love the Lord and understand what he's done for us? It's just a matter of deciding, yes, I'm going to do that. So here are three disciplines. If you happen to be taking notes, I tried to make it catchy for you. You know, you love it when preachers try to start everything with the same letter, so I did that for you. Three points, and then I'll give you a leg split, and we'll be ready to go. These three disciplines will change your life and make you more spiritually fit than you currently are. And it's nothing new, but I bet it's something we need to work on. First, we need to probe His Word. Second, we need to pray for His will. Thirdly, we need to practice His works. So I'll go back. We need to probe His Word, number one. Pray for His will, number two. And practice His works, number three. If you'd get a handle on these three disciplines, you'll never need another revival as long as you live. Because you're going to be on fire. You're going to be doing what you ought to do. You're going to be focused and your joy is going to be full and running over. And it's going to be so contagious that this community will turn upside down. I'll guarantee it. And then it's going to be so contagious it'll turn other communities upside down. And before you know it, we'll have a globe full of genuine Christians. If you, just you. We'll get this right. How do I know that? Because Jesus took 12 knuckle-headed men from every walk of life and turned the world on its ear, one who even was a thief and a fraud. If we'd get serious, I'm telling you, we could change the world. So let's look at these again. These, again, there's just nothing new to you. We know about all of these, about getting into the Scripture, about praying, about practicing and walking out our faith. But I'll tell you, I'll guarantee you, if I were to ask you to be honest tonight, every last one of you would tell me I need to do better. I'll be honest and tell you, this guy needs to do better. I discipline myself to do these things daily, but I need to do more. I need to do better. I need to be more spiritually fit. And so if we're honest, we will listen, even though these are things we know. And we will determine tonight that we will do something with them. First of all, let's consider as we talk about probing his word as a daily discipline we think about 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15. 
You probably know this one by heart. You can turn there if you'd like, 2 Timothy 2.15. But it says this, study to show thyself approved. A workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So just think about that for a second. Does it say read a few verses or read a devotional and move on? No, it says study, which means not just reading it. I mean, when you're in school and, and the teacher says study and you just read it one time, how are you going to do on that test? Unless you just happen to be one of that select few like my associate pastor who has a photographic memory, not so well. I've always been impressed with that young man. He grew up in our youth program, and I was impressed from day one. He could read something, and it was just stuck, just locked away like a steel trap. My mind's like a steel trap, too, but I have to keep reminding and reading it over and over and over because mine's a little rustier. So unless you're one of those folks, you need to do it where you're studying it if you want to do well and remember it. Repetition is the key to learning. It's why I review every single night of every revival I ever do. Missy gets on me. She said, your view's too long. I said, repetition's the key to learning. And she just says, whatever. <laughs> With that beautiful, sweet joy on her face. Why wouldn't she have joy? She's married to me. Come on. I'm kidding. I'm the one with the joy. But we need to study. We need to read it over and over and over. You know it's true. How'd you learn your multiplication tables? You ain't got enough toes and hands and fingers to do that, do you? Uh-uh. Because once you get up over the tens, it's like, oh, my gosh, what now? You had to memorize them. How did you learn the state capitals? You had to memorize them. How did you learn to write in cursive? You memorized this is what it looks like, even though they don't teach that anymore. Sad. Another story, another time. But you need to study. So get the first word of 2 Timothy 2.15, first of all. It's not a matter of just getting in a few words to say you did it. If you're doing that, you are not getting what you need out of the Word of God. If you're only getting the Word of God from Herbert and those who teach your Sunday school classes on Sundays and Wednesday, you're not getting enough. By a show of hands, how many of you only eat your Flintstones chewable vitamins during the day and don't eat a meal the rest of the day? I love me some Flintstones chewable vitamins. They are delicious. Who don't want to eat Fred Flintstone? They are delicious, and they're good. they got everything you need in them. But if all I do is take a Flintstones chewable vitamin every day, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to be malnourished, and I'm not going to live long because what's going to happen is, in medical terms, I'm going to have a failure to thrive. You know, We need to study, not just read, but study the Word of God. And I, you know, I know guys are notorious for not doing this, but ladies usually are really good at this. They'll get a new product, some kind of new fancy blender or something that does everything for them or a new oven or something, and they'll sit down and read the manual. What a novel idea. I can't tell you the things that I have bought for my children, and, and I looked at the, the instructions, and I'm trying to figure out, okay, which language am I going to go with? You know, There seem to be more instructions in Chinese, so I'll go with that one, and by the time I'm done, throw that out, and I'm just looking at the picture and trying to put something together. And you know what always happens? I got extra parts. And, of course, I'm being the normal man, and I'm saying, well, I don't know, they must have sent extra screws. I don't know. And I just throw them away, right? And, and, and especially if it's something on a vehicle or something, then I'm up there visiting Mark Weaver saying, Mark, can you help me find out where this goes, or can you get me this part? We need to read the instructions. We need to study it. And if we need to do it with things like that, earthly things that are going to fall to pieces anyway, how much more should we do it with our life?
with those things that are eternal. We need to study. Why should we study? So that we can show ourselves approved. To who? Are we doing this so that we can brag to our neighbors and friends and church folk and be the best Sunday school teacher? And, and somebody say, oh, man, that, that person knows the Word of God. No, that's cool. That's a friend's benefit. But this is talking about studying the Word of God to show yourself approved to the God of the Word. So study the Word of God to show yourself approved to the God of the Word. Well, now that's somebody I really do want to make proud. And you do that not only to show yourself approved to Him, but also to be able to rightly divide the Word of truth. Okay, let's just say you got your joy on. It's showing. Your joy is showing you are on top of the world. Your Jesus is there. You got up in the morning like the choir sang, and you said, Give me Jesus. And you said, Lord, guide me to somebody who will see my joy and let me be able to share with them the truth of the gospel. And then you stand before them and you have nothing to say because you either haven't studied it or you don't know what it means. You see, not only do you study the Word of God, do you probe the Word of God to please the God of the Word, you also do this so that you can rightly divide this and give it to folks the way they need it. Be able to break it down to where the rubber meets the road and say, this is what it could mean for you in your situation. People need us to be able to do that. Now, I counsel people day in and day out. And I find that most of the time what I'm counseling them on, they should already know because I'm counseling them on the bare bones basics of Christianity. But they haven't been studying to show themselves approved, and they certainly can't divide the word of truth to anyone else because they don't even get it themselves. It's critical that we discipline ourselves to probe the word of God. The second one is to pray for his will. Do I need even talk about this? Yep. God said my house is to be a house of prayer. His people are to be a people of prayer. In fact, if I read 1 Thessalonians 5.17 correctly, it just simply says three words. Pray without ceasing. You know it. Y'all are quoting it along with me. Pray without ceasing. You know prayer is mentioned over 931 times in God's word in some form or fashion. Now, folks, if God says something one time, he means it. That's all it should take. I tell my kids that. I don't, I, I'm not counting to three. I'm not giving you a warning. Because if I say it, that's it. I am never going to say something to you just to pick on you or give you a hard time. I'm going to tell you because I feel like I know something that maybe you don't, and I'm trying to do what's right for you. How much more, if we as humans understand that principle, does God? You see, God sees the whole picture. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you. God knows every second of your life. He knew it before you were ever formed in the womb. He's got it laid out. He knows what it's supposed to look like. He knows where you're supposed to put your feet, what your big mouth is supposed to say. He knows where you're supposed to be. And so should we not talk to him without ceasing and hear what he has to say, even if he has it, says it one time? Sure. But if he said it over 900 times, do you think maybe he's trying to drive a point home? You see, prayer is one of the ultimate things that you can do to be spiritually healthy. Do you realize what you're doing when you pray? Once that temple veil was rent in two, you no longer needed a high priest to approach the Holy of Holies. We, each of us, can walk right into the throne room of God and grab a hold of his holy robe and tug on it and say, Jerry, please help me. 
Daddy, please explain this to me. Help me know what to do in this situation. And guess what? He's listening. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Remember that old song? What a privilege. A privilege I don't deserve. Who am I that God is mindful of me and willing to let me come talk to him? How many of you have ever had an audience with one of our presidents of these United States? Raise your hand. One person. One person out of this whole place has actually had an audience to speak with the president of the United States. How come the rest of you hadn't been to see him? Why don't you, I'll tell you what, let's get a bus trip up and go. We'll all spend about 45 minutes with him telling him what for when we get up there. How about that? You think he's going to see us? Do you think he's going to give each of us 45 minutes? Why? He's too busy, too important, too much going on. God's running the universe, and he's saying, come on anytime. My door, my heart is always open. Why? Because that's part of the reason he created you. Why did God even make us? I'm going to tell you, I, I think about that. Why in the world? Well, it's right there in Genesis. Let us create man in our own image, somebody that we can love and have a relationship with. Those of you who have children, why'd you have children? You didn't do it because you just needed to spend several hundred thousand dollars by the time they're 18 years old, feeding them, clothing them, diapering them, whatever the case is. You didn't want to have kids just so you could get up every hour on the hour while they were screaming and had nasty pants. I mean, who likes doing that? We did it because we're parents, but you didn't do it for that reason. I tell you, I, I never understood that, Herbert. Why do people say I slept like a baby? Babies wake up every hour screaming and crying with something in their pants that is unsightly. Never going to hear me say that. I sleep like a rock if I'm slept good. <laughs> but nonetheless, you didn't have kids, so you'd go through all of that. Kids are hard. Man, parenting ain't easy. It is not for the faint of heart. It is a constant job. And it don't end when they're 18, does it, Mama? <laughs> Careful how big your amen is. It, it just it goes, But why? Because you wanted someone to love. You wanted someone to enjoy your life and your relationships with. It's why parents complain all the time, you don't never come see me no more. Even if you went every day, it wouldn't be enough. Why? Because they had you so they could love you and spend time with you and grow old with you. God created us for much the same reason. He created us because he wanted someone to love and to have a relationship with. So folks, please understand the beauty of prayer. Understand what it is. Charles Spurgeon once said, and he was once called the Prince of Preachers. He was a great preacher, a great expositionist. But he once said that prayer is when we are able to go grab a hold to the rope here on earth that rings the bell in God's presence in heaven. Whatever you want to call it, it's important. God said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, do it without ceasing. Do you know, unless I'm in corporate prayer, I do not say amen anymore. I've got an uncle that sort of helped teach me this lesson. You know, he'll call, and he called today with the stupidest joke on earth. And he really did, and if he were here, I'd have still said that. It, it, my Uncle Larry just tends to call me for random reasons to tell me silly jokes or just nothing. He'll call and say, what are you doing? And I'll tell him, well, all right. And then, well, you know what he does every time? He just hangs up. <laughs> does not ever say goodbye. If I've ever heard the man even say the words, I don't know it. I said, Uncle Larry, that's rude. No, he said, I just hope I'm going to get to talk to you again and keep the conversation going. Man, what a principle. That's exactly what God's saying. 
Right there in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Keep on talking to me. You ain't got to hang up because when we say amen, it does something mentally. It's like we just shut him off and we hang up. So I would submit to you, why don't you get like some of these fancy folks riding around with their Bluetooth on? Just leave it on. Keep on about your business. I ain't, please, for goodness sake, don't do this and be riding down the road. Please, because I got to ride on these roads with you. I don't want you doing that, but I would encourage you to get on the line with Jesus as soon as you get up in the morning and start talking to him, and don't say amen. I just don't anymore. And if you ever get up beside me on 501, head to Duke or somewhere, you're going to see my mouth moving. But you're not going to see anybody else next to me because I'm either singing or me and the Lord's having a good old conversation. I'm done with the amen because I don't want to hang up. I want to keep talking to him, and that's the point. Why you need to hang up? Where does it say here that you need to pray and then stop and do what you're doing? Keep on praying through it. And you know what? Things do work out better. I tell you, I, as a younger man, I'm sure it wouldn't have been this way, but as I get older and I work on projects around the house, because I just love tinkering on stuff, and every now and then with a hammer I'll hit the wrong nail. And by that I mean I hit one of these ten. And when you do, all of these really sanctified holy words rise up within you. And you want to say anything but tangerine. Yeah, look, y'all can, y'all say, oh, I can't believe the preacher said that. I can't believe he'd think that. Look, y'all do. And so when that happens, you know, but if I'm praying, if I'm praying, you know what I do say? I hit that thing and I was like, oh, Lord, please help me not say nothing wrong. Oh, Lord, that hurts like the digging. Lord, please help it feel better. And I just talk it out because I'm in prayer. I tell you. Being in prayer without ceasing, if we would truly pray for His will and pray without ceasing, would change a lot of things in our life. Prayer has changed my married life. Uh, for all our married life, and, and some of you won't believe this, but I'm going to tell it, and it's the truth, and you can ask Missy if I'm fibbing later, but it's the truth. Missy and I have been married for 22 years now. Did I get it right? Yeah. 22 years, my whole adult life. 22 years, and we've yet to have an argument. They would say, that's not normal. You must not never be home. Well, that's part of it. That's part of it. But we do do most everything together. The reason we don't argue is not because of David. It's because of my wife and her praying without ceasing. You see, it's hard to argue with someone and get ugly when you're praying. But a lot of times we'll be discussing something, and if she disagrees and she can tell that I'm getting ready to be a bonehead, she'll look at me, or if I hurt her feelings, she'll look at me and she'll say, Dave, and she hadn't done this in a long time because we have this set in place. But she'd look at me and she'd say, if I say anything right now, you ain't going to like it and God ain't either. So I'm going to go pray and then we'll talk in a little bit. Makes me so doggone mad. <laughs> but it changed my life. Because I'd argue if she'd let me. I would. I mean, I'm a type A personality. I want to solve it right here, right now, if not yesterday. And so she... She'll go to her separate corner, to her room, wherever else, the deck, whatever, and she's praying, and I am not going to be outdone. If she's praying, dead gummit, I'm going to do it too. (laughs) And you know, two people that are praying cannot come back together and act a fool because the Spirit begins to speak to your heart and show you His will. And that's just one way that prayer has changed my life. As far as making decisions, I pray about them. And I pray, God, and here's how I do it. God, please, this is what I'm about to do. And it lines up with Scripture so far as I can tell. But if it's not what you want me to do, just because it's a good thing, it doesn't mean it's the God thing. It may not be what you want me to do. So, God, if it ain't what you want me to do, take away my peace and slam the door in my face. 
But if it is what you want me to do, help me to see confirmation that this is right. Open the door. Give me peace and let me walk on through it. You would be amazed at how praying that simple way would help you through decisions in life. But you've got to make it a discipline. Not only do you need to probe the word, you need to pray for his will. And if you want, I can give you the other 930 references. Would you like those? All right. Of course not. No. Somebody got an honest person in here. But trust me, they're there. We need to pray for his will. But not only probe his word, pray for his will. There's one last thing that you need to discipline yourself to do every day. And you have to be intentional about it. We need to be practicing his works. Once you've dug into the word, God's going to reveal things to you. And then once you pray for his will, he's going to say, this is what I want you to do with what you've learned from the word all these years. And then he's going to want you to do something with it. Why? Because James 1.22 is unmistakable. No gray area. It's matter of fact. James 1.22. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Let me tell you something, Christians, if you are in fact Christians. If you know what the word of God says and what God expects of you and you choose not to do anything about it, you are deceiving your own self. And you might need to get saved. Now that's not comfortable to hear. How dare him judge my salvation. I'm not judging anything. I'm just telling you that James 1.22, the brother of Christ wrote those words by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, but be ye doers of the word also and not hearers only, because if all you're doing is coming and amassing a bunch of knowledge and hearing a bunch of sermons and listening to a bunch of gospel music and listening to every preacher on the radio and reading everything that the word has to say and you're doing nothing differently, then you need to do a spiritual checkup because we're to be doers of the word now do not hear me say anything about a salvation based on works you will never do enough in 50 lifetimes to earn your salvation and you will never do enough in five million to pay him back for what he's done that's not what i'm saying but what i will tell you is we read in that same book don't talk about faith if there are no works to prove it and what does matthew five sixteen tell us let your good works Let your light shine, your good works, before men, so they might glorify your Father in heaven. I love that verse. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We must begin to be doers of the word. Because when the world looks on and they see people claiming the name of Christ in their workplaces who know that they should not lie and they catch them in a lie, What are they thinking? Well, I don't need no part of that. I'm good as they are. When they see in the word of God where it says, thou shalt not commit adultery, it wasn't a suggestion. When they see that happening in the church just as much as it's happening outside in the world, they're saying, well, I'm good as they are. When they see people gossiping, when the word is clear that you should say nothing except that which is edifying to the hearer that means build them up, and they see gossip and hear gossip, people talking about something that's none of their business, well, they figure, well, I don't need any part of that. What does 1 Thessalonians 4.11 say? I have that printed on the back of our bulletin at church, and it stays there week after week after week. It says, aspire to lead a quiet life and mind your own business. Stays on our bulletin. Because people just love to get up into somebody else's stuff. And when the world sees that, they don't want any part of it. The bottom line is there are a million things or more to be learned in this word that you can gather and gain and understand. 
Because if you're truly probing his word and praying for his will, you're going to understand it, I promise you. Don't give me that mess, I can't understand it. You've got to read it and study it before you're ever going to understand it. But if you will probe his word, pray for his will, you're going to understand it. Then you need to put feet on it and do something with it. You see, those Ten Commandments, as I shared with you back in, I think, 2012. By the way, Herbert, thank you for getting me that set of CDs. Herbert, when I was here in 2014, I said, Herbert, I need to get a set of them CDs because somebody wants them. He just gave them to me tonight, and I'm very appreciative for that. <laughs> but I didn't tell him when I needed them. So, so we're all good, brother. But in 2012, I talked to you about the Ten Commandments. I said, we've got to get back to the basics. And one of the first things I told you, and some of you may remember, maybe not, I said, we are here this week to talk about the Ten Suggestions. And then I corrected myself because the reality is, none of God's commandments are suggestions. And I would submit to you that if you are truly a Christian, you will understand that what he says he means, and it is for our good, and if we are to have joy at all, we're going to probe his word, we're going to pray for his will, and then we're going to practice his works because we understand we're to be doers of the word. When your children went to school, you didn't want them to learn about how fire burns and then come home and stick their feet in the fireplace, did you? You wanted them to practice it. Every day of the week, Christians putting their feet in the fireplace, doing things that they know better than to do, taking God's word as a suggestion rather than the word of the supreme ruler of the universe. It's time that we probed his word, prayed for his will, and practiced his works And I promise you this, if you will put these three disciplines in your life, the why of joy, you will have joy unsurpassed. So let's bring it all home. See how it all works together. Jesus is your focus. And then you're going to put others right in there. Why? Because the Word says to do that. So you're loving the Lord first, loving others second. And then you're disciplining yourself to know what the Word says, know what His will is for your life, and then you're doing it. And it all keeps this beautiful cycle going. And you know what that cycle is? It's joy. Now, somebody asked me the other day, they said, okay, you're going to take us through J-O-Y. That ain't but three letters. And uh, we having revival on Thursday night. So what you doing Thursday night? The exclamation point. Yeah, because you, usually when you think about joy, there's what behind it? Exclamation point. So I ask you that if you can be here tomorrow, come on out. We can wrap this thing up with a big old exclamation point. But if you're not able to be here, understand everything we've said so far is real simple, easy to encapsulate. Joy is needful in a Christian's witness. If you have genuine joy, which you should, and we've proved it a million ways from Sunday, if you have genuine joy, as you should, it will show. And people will want to know where did that joy come from. And then you get to share with them the reason for your joy, the fact that you're focused on Jesus, that you're focused on other people, including them, and that you put yourself last, but in that process of putting yourself last, you're refocusing on Jesus and his word and his will and practicing what he wants you to do. Isn't that a beautiful cycle? I beg that this week you will do something with this and that you will have true godly joy. And that it would be absolutely contagious. In fact, right before we go into the invitation, let's do something that's just real, real non-traditional. I want you to turn around and throw some joy on somebody just as hard as you can for a second. I don't care if you smile at them, hug them, or whatever. But I want you to turn around right now before the invitation and throw a little bit of joy on somebody. 
Come on, throw it harder than that. Let's go. Any joy in this room? Let's do it. All right. Doesn't that feel good? And I hope that came from the depth of your soul because of the joy that lives and resides within your heart. Now what I'm going to ask you for this time of decision is to understand that even now you better become intentional about these things or it's going to go in one ear and right out the other and you're going to leave here being hearers of the word only, deceiving yourselves, thinking that revival really came. So tonight as you stand, get intentional, pray for his will, and whatever that is, you do it right here, right now. And don't ever quit until you're six feet under and in his presence experiencing real joy. God bless you.
Let us pray. Dear gracious and heavenly fathers, Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity to be in your house this evening. We thank you for those who have ventured out. Lord, for the days get long, and sometimes in the evenings it's hard to get up and leave that home again to come out. But, Lord, we are thankful for those who are here. Lord, we just thank you for the messenger and the message that we've heard this evening, Lord, for joy, that we can carry joy in our lives, in our heart, in every aspect of our life. And that people can see you live through us with the joy that is on our face and, and then that surrounds us and in everything we do. So we just ask that you be with those that we mentioned this evening that are sick, those that are suffering. Lord, we touch them and we're so thankful that they continue to show joy in times of trouble and heartache. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Amen.